Hi, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for co-op news and reviews. This week, the king of co-op, Steve Kingsley, and his special guest are going to review a game for you and have a related discussion. And without further ado, here's Steve! Welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop. Steve here with a couple of special guests. We have Barrett... Well, not really a guest, but one-stop co-op shop member. <laughs> That's right. I'm here. Thanks, Steve, for having me on. I'm really hoping we can keep doing a lot of these. This is a lot of fun. I love being able to hang out with you. We got even more special guests this time. That's right, because we're just the normal people, but the extra special guest we have is Mike Rimmer from uh, Caravel Games. <laughs> Hello, Steve. Hi, Baron. Hi. Hey, Mike. So glad you could join us. So Mike is here to talk about a new game. Well... Yeah, it's a game. It's a game and a book and a puzzle, all in like one one thing. And it's Twisty Little Passages. Recently, I've gotten my copy from Kickstarter and have a blast playing with my wife. Well, it's a solo game, but my wife and I trade off and we kind of compare notes with like, hey, did you complete this puzzle? Did you not? And uh, we wanted to bring Mike on to talk about how do you create a, a puzzle book like this? And how did you come across this interesting idea? But before that, we'd like to thank our Patreon supporters. This week, we'd like to thank Tim Burnett, a co-op MVP, Rico Sneller, a co-op MVP, and Taya Tammy, a co-op fan. And thanks to all Patreon supporters for supporting us. Okay, and with that, let's jump into the interview. So, Mike, where, where do you come from? Hi, um, yeah, I'm Mike Reimer. I own a gaming company, Caravel Games. Uh, I live in Utah, USA. And I love both designing and playing games, uh, especially together with my wife and kids at home. Oh, that's fun. What type of games do you play with your wife and kids? Uh, well, I've uh, tried to go through a whole gamut of stuff, but what works uh, well is uh, often simpler and shorter titles uh, work well and uh, trying to find stuff that has good, good interaction uh, between members of the family. So we're a one-stop co-op shop, so I have to ask the question. Do you favor competitive or co-op, or you do a mixture of both? Oh, yeah. I was uh, excited to talk about that. I love both uh, co-op as well as, uh, well, take that games. <laughs> take that games. Oh, nice. That's an awesome way to put it. We have a lot of take that games at my house. We uh, sadly have been quelling the amount of take that games. We have turned more towards a co-op. I have a 10 and a 7-year-old, so they're both boys. They like to do a lot of uh, take that games. I'm going to start calling him that. I'm stealing that from you, Mike. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, but I'm, I'm, I, I love uh, having a lot of player interaction in games. So what are some of your favorite games you play? Um, I've uh, played all kinds of games my entire life, and I um, like games that have uh, fluid mechanics. That, that is, they um, provide uh, a rich interactive space to explore. Um, what comes to mind first off are games like Cosmic Encounter and Innovation. Uh, for me, these games have combinations of rules or like abilities or player powers that com combine in, in interesting ways that make each game a, a different experience, a new experience to explore. I have not heard the name Innovation in quite some time. And I've not played Cosmic Counter, I'll admit that, but I do have Innovation on my shelf, and that one is is excellent for what it is. It's so it's so interesting how, with a few decks of cards and how you can make these interesting interactions, but it is very much take that. So <laughs> <laughs> that's that's right, and uh, sometimes 
yeah, sometimes, like you said, playing with the kids might want to pull some punches there, but but it's still, uh, yeah, it's a fun game to explore. That's For sure. I look at it as a game of exploration as much as, as just having a competition. Oh, of course, of course. So you say you, you play games with your family a lot. Did you play games at a younger age? How did you start getting into the board game community? Yeah, I've played all kinds of games my entire life um, since since I was very young. And yeah, so and I've also designed games, at least informally, since since I was little. I started by creating analogs of games I really enjoyed. Uh, those might be board games, maybe some some video games too. Adding my own um, maps, elements, or monsters and things like that. And by adding them, I mean often just uh, imagining what would work, writing them down on pencil and paper, with pencil and paper, um, and. Uh, exploring what works, what didn't, and looking back, those moments I see gave me a place to, you know, explore what I liked about games, and I noticed what could work, you know, what you could either add to or subtract to a, a gaming experience by what you put into it. And and I learned things like adding more to a game doesn't necessarily make the game better. Um, you know, there's mm-hmm. something special you know, about providing an elegant core mechanic to a game. That's that's very simple at its core and, and can be used in many ways. For sure, for sure. And uh, when I started with, uh, you know, what I started with reams of paper and pencil, that eventually brought into involved computers. I recognized computers also as a, as a tool with an immense creative potential. And I dabbled in, in making my own games over the years on, on computer and eventually reached a point where I joined a team of like-minded individuals who also loved playing and making games, and we formed Caravel Games, an indie game studio. And and a lot of the games we made are board game kind of board game centric, I'd call them, where they play like a board game, but essentially the computer acts as kind of the uh, the facilitator, you know, to manage rules for you um, that are either fiddly or you know overly mechanical. So the players don't need to worry about those aspects of it, but they can just focus on actually playing the game. And uh, over a course of about 15 years or more now, we've, we've released a series of puzzle dungeon crawl games in a franchise that's called Deadly Rooms of Death. Uh, very, very seriously named. That's an amazing name. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> or uh, DROD for short, D-R-O-D. Um, and we've uh, spent years designing puzzle levels and game mechanics in those games. And the, and the way we tried to design them is having these game mechanics or um, puzzle elements, which we refer to as widgets, you know, have these widgets fit well together, you know, so they, they have, they fill different roles and you can combine them together in interesting ways to, to build lots of, have a large variety in the space of puzzles you can design. And so that, that has led uh, me to the, uh, the, the current project we're talking about here, uh, Twisty Little Passages which is my first uh, foray into a published uh, tabletop gaming production. Well, I think this is a pretty good time to tell us about this wonderful game called Twisty Little Passages. I'm sure you're eager to tell everybody out there about it. I've actually had a great time with it. I Like Steve, I've had my wife actually playing it with me. And it's been really fun to even see her try to do these, even though I already know the answer. And it's so interesting to see people's minds and how each person actually has a different way of doing it. But enough about what my wife and I have been doing. I'd like to know, what is Twisty Little Passages? Yeah, so Twisty Little Passages is a game in a book. It's a book about the size of a hefty RPG manual, if you can envision that. And it has a subtitle on the front of the book, 
that says it is an amazing dungeon crawl puzzle adventure, which uh, tells you that it's about mazes and it has uh, dungeon crawl elements and it is a puzzle adventure. Uh, so if you like any or all of those things, you, you might like this book. It, it has a, a story where you play as a character named Ren, an El Kasi spy, who is on a mission to defeat the evil demon king Mordrach. And it's uh, the adventure, or campaign, as it were, is broken down into chapters, and each chapter has multiple areas in it, uh, where an area is, you, is a dungeon area, or a map, that you need to play through and, and, and win, or solve the puzzle to uh, move on to the next area and advance the story. So how exactly did it solve these puzzles as you're going through? Uh, I know a lot of people might not have actually had their hands on this. I have, and I think it's great. But I think people kind of want to know, how do you actually get through each one of these? Oh, thank you. Yes. Uh, so the way you play is, well, the book has uh, laminated pages throughout, and you draw on the page right on the, on the maze with a dry erase pen to play through the level. And on the page, you also keep track of player stats and inventory. And as you as you advance through the dungeon, imagine you're drawing through uh, just a maze with, with a pen, pencil and paper. But uh, along the way through the maze, there are enemies and treasures and uh, traps and keys and doors. And you need to find your way through this dungeon maze to reach the end of the level. So when you encounter a monster you're going to have to fight it to get past it and, and move along that passage further. Um, so as a player, you have, as the character has uh, stats of hit points or life points, attack and defense, pretty basic uh, stats. And uh, the way you, whatever your attack and defense powers are, determine how quickly you can defeat the enemy and how much damage you'll receive during combat. And you don't need to figure out the, the mechanics of how the combat is resolved. That's all displayed for you in damage tables on the page next to the, the uh, next to an enemy description. So when you encounter the monster, you use your attack and defense uh, values to look up how much damage you'll take during the fight on the table, and you need to subtract that amount of life from your, your hit point stat uh, to defeat the monster and continue. And if you ever run out of hit points along the way through the, through the area, you die and have to restart the puzzle. And uh, there's also keys that you can pick up uh, to open locked doors and advance further along certain passages. And there's equipment you can pick up, such as armor and weapons to boost your stats. And you have to level uh, power up enough to fight through the monsters and reach a level boss and defeat it at the end of the level uh, without dying in order to solve the puzzle. And there's only one way typically to, to do that and you need to find out what is that way to go through the maze and solve solve it to to conquer the dungeon i see so the best part about this is you actually have in this maze more than one way to use a key or more than one way to fight a monster and you have to try to figure out what would be the right path to be able to do that without actually losing all your health and of course if you do you have to start over but when you get to the next level you get to start again with a new base set of stats and you got a whole new puzzle to go through and there's how many are there in this game there's, so there's 27 puzzles in in the book and each one of them may take anywhere from 15 minutes to maybe a couple of hours to solve yeah that seems very true for us so my wife and i will we're comparing notes like did you beat it, did you beat it? how'd you do it what don't tell me don't tell me 
No, I want to hit. No, no, don't, don't, don't tell me anymore. So we got this back and forth banter, like trying to like keep up to where we are in the book. Uh, but it's it's quite fun and it's challenging. And uh, I think the one thing that would be important for people to know is the boss, at least the ones most of the maps I play, uh, when you beat the boss, you will have only one life remaining. So it's always like a nail-biting finish to like, do I have enough finally? Can I finally make it past the boss and, and get out of this uh, this part of the dungeon or this map? And yeah, it's it's been a great, great puzzle for sure. Yeah, that's right. Thank you. And the other thing I want to mention too that I really appreciated was the the tables you included. And I don't want people to shy away from when we say the words tables because we're not talking about something that's like really extensive. You have to look up all these charts and stuff. No, it's really just a, hey, I have 13 defense and 12 attack. And I just look at the intersection of these two, this row column, and that's how many how many hit points I lose to defeat this, this uh, enemy. And it makes it really, really fast and easy to to run through a map while having some flexibility on your stat line and maintaining that with the, you know, your dry erase uh, marker or pen, uh, but still making so that you're, you're focusing on the puzzle itself. Well, I have to manage the additional overhead of uh, the combat nuance. Yeah, that's right. We wanted uh, the player to be able to focus on not having to manage mechanics of, of combat, but as a predominantly as a puzzle game to focus on solving the puzzles. And so I was lucky enough to have demoed this uh, before the Kickstarter. Uh, I got, uh, and so I put together a video and tried out the first few maps. And they were good. They were fun. But like the first one is is pretty straightforward, of course, introduction. And then the next one's got a little harder, harder. And I got, I got excited because I got, I'm like, these are the first maps, what the later ones do. And I, I was not disappointed, <laughs> to say the least. So it I know you have 27 in there, and to be uh, clear to the audience, I've, I'm maybe getting close to halfway through the book, and I've been playing this a lot with my wife. Every little map as I'm running across that has its own little, like, interesting twist to the formula. Like, there's some of them that you get, like, magic spells, and you have to maintain what your level of your spell is as you do combat, or other ones where you have to get a boat or this uh, one-time poison uh, equipment. And so when do I use this equipment? What's the best time? And yeah, it's been great. Sorry, I'm getting into a little bit of my my thoughts on the game. Sorry about that. (laughs) Yes, I've also actually had that same experience where I've actually, all the mazes I've done and all the puzzles I've done on this, I have never made it my first try, which really shows a lot of creativity and a lot of thought went into making something like this. If it was easy, you obviously be getting through it so fast, but knowing that there's all these little things and every level has a new thing kind of dropped in to add to the, not necessarily the sophistication, but to the dimension and the overall structure of the puzzle and what you have to do to think about it. Now, when it came to making twisty little passages, what really, what, what was really challenging about it? Was it kind of building those new things to throw into it? Was it creating the paths? What was kind of the hardest part about Twisted Little Passages when creating it? Ah, uh, yeah, that's that's a good question. There are actually, there are multiple challenges that I could see as, as part of creating uh, the, twist, the, the, the game and, and the puzzles. First of all, uh, well, originally there was, there was risk and, and some vulnerability, at least I felt vulnerable in building something new. Um, I feel these puzzles are novel, and I had to be super intentional about delivering a play experience that I wanted to be received in a certain way. And as part of a core part of that is how the puzzles are designed. Um, so the challenge I gave myself was to provide puzzles that are 
One, easy to read. Two, intuitive. Three, they're simple to play. And while also being thematic and, and maybe most importantly, um, they're appropriately puzzling and, and challenging and fun for the player. I, a challenge there for me was building puzzles that are not simply trial and error. I want to, wanted to design experiences where the puzzle is guiding the player and figuring out how to crack the code, as it were, of solving, solving each puzzle. So along the way, you will likely need, like you said, multiple attempts to solve a puzzle. But I wanted to each playthrough of a puzzle area to help the player discover something new, uh, both about the puzzle and, and how to play the, ca- the game. Like, um, for instance, I sought to provide aha moments where there's an obstacle that presents itself. And as you explore the area, you gradually uncover the solution of, of how to overcome the obstacle. And uh, the goal there is to provide the player experiences where solving the puzzle itself feels rewarding, like, like the player is getting something out of the effort they're putting into it. And so I, I want the player to feel like, like a genius when they solve a puzzle while at the same time, they're connecting with the puzzle's creator in a way, thinking to themselves, wow, that's, that's an amazing puzzle. And they can respect the puzzle and its creator. Um, I want the puzzles to feel fair and, and not, not um, overly uh, obscure or complicated, but, you know, but it's something that, that a player can approach and say, yeah, this is a puzzle, I want to solve it. And as they do so, they feel rewarded. And so I think those are all signs of a well-designed puzzle. And um, if I can provide a richly thematic experience along the way so the player feels immersed in an engaging story or environment, I think that helps cement the experience in the player's memory. Yeah, I've definitely experienced what you just described where I'll be playing a puzzle and and I'll have some idea, like I'll look at the, the paths. I'm like, well, this seems like the most efficient. It has to be this way. And I'll start working down this path and seeing how far I'll go. And then at some point it doesn't work out. I'm like, well, that didn't work, but this is the most efficient way of doing it. And then, then I come to the realization that like, it's not always about efficiency. Sometimes I have to like backtrack or keep track of like, I've had instances where the number of keys I have, I've run out like, oh, I have to really be cautious of like how many doors are open. So that's not going to force me to not go down the most efficient mathematically path, but now I have to follow this other, other route. So I, I know myself and my wife has definitely experienced that. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. I'm curious because I feel like this whole concept of putting a dungeon crawl type experience into a book where you can just solve the puzzles and even with a whiteboard um, system, I feel like that's fairly fairly unique and, I feel, and a very novel idea like you mentioned before. I'm curious, like, what led to your thoughts of trying to put this together in this medium? Oh, there's a, a good amount of uh, history and backstory there. So if you'll indulge me in a, a storytelling um, minute, um, I'll, I'll jump into that. First of all, the, the creative spark, I guess, as it were, that impelled me into to build, to working on this project, first off, was from uh, when one of my uh, kids, my oldest son, Seth, came to me one day and he said he'd had a dream. And he told me about his dream. And uh, so you can see there where this is going. Uh, dreams have a lot of, you know, you often have these different ideas mashed up in your, in your mind when you're dreaming about something. And he said he had a dream where he was uh, playing an RPG in a book. And um, he also had some other ideas in his mind. Like he said there were different like mines or bombs in the, along the way in the level. And I think he was thinking about a game like Minesweeper. And 
it sounded uh, very interesting to me what he was describing. But um, I was, as he was talking about that, I was thinking like, you know, a game like Minesweeper, it's, it's kind of a puzzle game, but it, resol- it, it, it depends on having some hidden information. And, and, and whereas, you know, you, you open the cells and as you do that, you get more information and you try to figure out logically how to solve the puzzle. But so I was thinking, but if you wanted to put a format like that in a book, how could you present a puzzle where you, you know, probably are showing everything on the page right from the outset, but how could you make it so it's not trivial to see the solution? And, and that got me thinking, you know, if, if there were some kind of RPG game you could play in a book, I said, that, that sounds really neat. Um, I uh, scoured the internet for such a game and I, I couldn't find anything like it. So um, I, I decided to, to make it myself. And so here, here we are. Uh, I, I got some ideas for the, for the core mechanics of I wanted in this, what I wanted in Twisty Little Passages from uh, one of our uh, computer games that we released at Caravel Games called Drod RPG, which features some, some uh, mechanics similar to what you see in Twisty Little Passages. Drod RPG, and it's inspired in turn by uh, this um, older, obscure puzzle RPG game, computer game called Tower of the Sorcerer. Um, it has this cult following, and there are various spin-off games that are also probably obscure, as is a fair way to say it, for, from people who are big fans who love the unique experience of that play. And it also involves this kind of light RPG experience where you just have some basic stats, and there's a puzzle you need to solve going through these dungeon levels and trying to make it as far as you can without running out of out of health essentially and so uh, i was so i spent a lot of time thinking about how to take that kind of puzzle and that that is a puzzle and you can kind of see everything in the dungeon but you it, there there is still effort required to figure out how how you actually engage monsters pick up equipment and, and uh, survive the survive the levels and so i wanted to experiment to see if that would work well in a, in a book format there was a couple aspects of wanted that I wanted to play around with first. I wanted to focus on the cater to the strengths of the medium. Like as as a computer game, uh, there are certain uh, strengths and, and and weaknesses or limitations of that medium, and and also um, uh, of a tabletop game uh, likewise. And so I wanted to provide an experience that plays really well in in uh, the tabletop world. So, for example, uh, you want I wanted to have it so that you can make uh, good use of your uh, mind, eyes, and, and hands as part of playing the game. Like, you can use your eyes to see all the information about a puzzle. It's all in front of you. But I also wanted to make that engaging. You know, some puzzles can be very abstract and cerebral. And I wanted the puzzle to feel like a place, a world that you can you can explore and you can your, you can immerse your imagination in. And then I also wanted your hands to be engaged in being able to play through the dungeon, not, not simply thinking about solving the puzzle, but actually going through the dungeon. And you get some kind of visceral uh, experience or reward as you're defeating monsters and picking up equipment and boosting your stats that you have as, as you're playing that right on the page. And so I, and I think uh, putting those all together helps to provide a, a more compelling experience to the player and, and, and solving puzzles and uh, as a as a dungeon crawl adventure in a book. That's fascinating. So this all kind of began from a, a dream, and not, not even your own dream in this sense, right? That's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a fun story. Yeah, that, that's right. And, and 
I just, uh, it, it, you know, so I was saying we, we've been, I'd been designing games kind of in this style for years, but, uh, when he mentioned this, it was kind of like a spark, you know, a light bulb went on in my mind just to think how, you know, this is a new, new creative challenge for me to, to think of how to, how to provide this kind of play experience to, to tabletop gamers. So yeah, th- we've been talking about the game quite a bit, but I want to focus in on creating these puzzles because I think that's a pretty interesting uh, approach and challenge to a game that I don't normally see with talking to other board game creators. Well, I mean, other, other board games have puzzles in them too, but this is this has like one solution or ideally only one solution, right? And so how do you even go about laying out this puzzle? How do you set that set that challenge level? Yeah, that's right. So first of all, to create a puzzle, we start with a core concept. Uh, it could be a game element or some kind of uh, narrative experience that we would like the player to have as part of going through the, the level. And, and we build the puzzle around that. For for example, one level might focus on focus on acquiring uh, armor or weapons or fighting different kinds of enemies, and one level is a unique take on on the bridge crossing riddle. If you've heard of bridge crossing riddles, where you try to cross a bridge the fewest number of times, there's mm-hmm. a level that that we made a take on that of how to do that in this in this kind of uh, gaming world, um, and so with uh, Given that kind of base for a level, there's a set of good principles we follow to design puzzles uh, of this nature around that experience. Um, and a lot of it involves how to present engaging trade-offs to the player. Uh, for example, when you want when you uh, increase your attack power, uh, you can do more damage to an enemy, and that might mean you can uh, defeat it in fewer rounds of combat and take less damage in that way. But also, when you acquire armor, that could also give you additional defense, which lets you take uh, less damage from uh, monster attacks. So uh, you, we provide uh, trade-offs like uh, to the player to have to make a decision, like, do I want to pick up a new sword now or a new shield? And when I have to choose one, it means delaying picking up the other one till a later point in the level, or maybe I'm not able to pick up the other one at all. And so they have to decide which is going to be the best option. Or um, we can make give a choice like, uh, do I want to use a key to open a new path? Or do I want to grab myself an elixir that boosts my life? Um, or do I want to make the effort, maybe having to fight some enemies to pick up a treasure now? Or is it, will it be easier and better to pick it up later once I've leveled myself up a bit? And uh, then there's also... Uh, trade-offs between uh, massing a certain amount of resource in order to get a big payoff, or maybe I, in, rather than waiting, say, uh, gathering a bunch, bunch of keys now, I maybe want to spend those keys piecemeal to open doors and, and get multiple smaller payoffs earlier on that, that help me get further in, in, the, in the dungeon and so on. Yeah, we, we had to have a good amount of experience with this. Over, over time, we figured out how to do that better and better. And as part of tuning a puzzle's difficulty to the right challenge level, that involves um, different ways to involve uh, mechanics or uh, game elements. For example, the more we realize the more game elements you add to a level, it's going to get more complicated and it's harder to, to, uh, to see through all the possibilities of maybe what's going to be the best option there. And uh, introducing more mechanics at the same time can make a puzzle more of a brain burner. 
we wanted to set those things at the right amount that that made it appropriate for for where it is in the in the campaign. Other ways we could tune the challenge level of a puzzle is by changing the number of available choices that a player has uh, open to them at a given point in time, or maybe how how large a dungeon is. So, like how how many steps does a player need to go through or think through in order to to arrive at a solution. And then there are also mean things we could do, like introduce red herrings uh, here and there. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes, I've run into those. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually just uh, earlier tonight, even or earlier today, I was uh, my wife and I were in the same puzzle. And uh, slight spoiler: there are secret areas in this book, which is pretty cool. And when the maps we came to, it has a path to a secret area. I'm like, wow, that's fascinating. And I was sitting down there like, well, there, I need three keys to, to access that secret area, but there's only three keys on the map. And so that means I can't use a key anywhere on the map if I want to get from the start to the end. And so it kind of forced me down a certain path by not going through these doors and mathematically it was not working out. And I was like, what is going on? I want to make it a secret area. And eventually I just had to concede that, oh yeah, maybe I can't make it, make it now. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to get to that. And I'll leave it at that. Uh, I'll leave it a little bit spoilery for people who do, do play it. Uh, but there is something that happens that lets you get to it. Um, but yeah, it's it was a bit of a red herring at first. Yeah, that's right. I want to provide an experience of kind of um, uh, un- uncovering the, the, um, the world. And as you explore, similar to how the character might explore the world, realize that there are, you know, so these opportunities, but maybe I'm not able to to open those those ways yet. But as part of that, a very strong principle that uh, we tried to follow was to never add complexity into a puzzle simply for complexity's sake. We want to focus on providing the player a challenge to overcome, and then create an opportunity for figuring out how to how to overcome that challenge, and and keep uh, any kind of noise in in figuring out that that puzzle to a minimum yeah it's interesting you bring that topic up uh my son he's only five years old um he's grown really attached to this game too and the puzzles are beyond his level of of trying to complete them by himself i mean i think he did the first one with my assistance um but any of the other ones he gets too frustrated however he understands the concept of it and he loves to sit down next to me and like dad let's do this together and he'll He'll give me some commands like, oh, yeah, we should go here and here and I'll get this guy and pick up this loot and I'll help him do the math or he'll even fill out the uh, the stat line for me. And so I guess that kind of drives into your comment about the the complexity. Like it's not overly complex when my son can't understand or follow going on, even if the strategy to solve it is beyond beyond his capabilities at the moment. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I found that uh, I was very surprised by that, but it was a, a fun experience to share with him. Yeah, I think I think it's great when you can play together with with family members and and children. Um, I, I I've played with my kids a lot, especially as we've been designing puzzles and testing. So now we just talked about kind of how the puzzles work and trying to get through them. And I know Steve mentioned at one point that every time you get through it, you'll have like maybe one hit point. It's a really narrowing escape. But of course, with all the different things you've done to build in all these mechanics that happen inside these twisted little passages, I'm sure people have come to you and said like, well, I made it out with three. How did, I thought I was supposed to only have one. How did you kind of get to the point where you tried to reduce as many of these like outlying 
possibilities when you created all these different puzzles? Ah, yeah, that's that's a good question. Determining like how many ways we wanted to let the player solve a puzzle is actually a, a core design decision in itself, and we grappled with that early on in the design. Uh, we explored what constraints would yield the best puzzle designs. That's that was our focus. And so, after making several puzzles, we settled on enforcing a single solution to a puzzle. Uh, we felt that that provided the strongest design for a puzzle, and, the, and, and it it also provided a narrative cohesion um, and and progression through the puzzles, as well as making it easy to for the player to see that they've solved the puzzle correctly when they they end up with just one hit point at the end of the puzzle. Uh, some puzzles explicitly do allow for finding alternative solutions. Um, but if uh, players are able to find a way of solving a level with excess hit points, we recognize them as being especially clever. And, and that's, uh, you can see that in the intro text of the, of the book. But um, as a programmer, it's possible to develop a program where you, you can build a representation of a puzzle in, in the computer and design an algorithm to find the optimum solution. And then, you know, enforce that in, in the puzzle. But I shied away from that approach in designing twisty little passages. I, I will say that I did notice that in your in your little instruction booklet, and I have yet to be clever to find a way out of these. <laughs> <laughs> we, we tried to make it so that there is really only one solution to a puzzle. Uh, but as one of my um, friend from work who uh, uh, helped as one of the play testers said, when you've got these puzzles where there's like a, a you know a million different ways to solve it, it's it's not you know too bad a thing if there's two ways to solve a puzzle instead of one, and that's that's kind of an encouraging way for me to think about it. But uh, we really wanted to try to provide only a single way to solve each puzzle. So we worked with I worked with a team of expert puzzle designers and play testers who really understand these puzzles well and have had a lot of experience designing and playing them to know really what, what works best in, in a level and, and are really good at finding um, solutions. But I think that was a helpful way to do it. It helped us stay grounded in the experience of playing the puzzles and, and learning their nuances as you play test a level. And many times along the way, we did find improved solutions from what the puzzle author originally intended. And we would incorporate the, the improved path into the level design. And often that helped us uh, tighten up some areas of the puzzle and made it even more interesting as a result. So we were all often uh, feeling um, good about how the puzzles ended up um, after going through that that kind of effort. And it, it felt more more organic and uh, more relatable to players. It was is the hope. So I'm curious about how you go about laying out this puzzle. Like, do you lay down your ideal path and build off that and and add the complexity from there? Or do you start laying out the foundation and then kind of fill in what you want the path is at the end? Is there like a, a approach that's better or worse than the other? Or am I thinking about this completely wrong? Ah, yeah. Yeah, we've tried to do uh, all of the above. But um, what I've uh, often encountered when, uh, and, and this probably won't be a surprise, when a person is trying to make a very clever kind of puzzle, and so they set out a path saying, here's like, this tightrope the player needs to walk to get right through this area in a very specific way. And then you kind of put off all these alternative, maybe false branches off of that. Often what we'll find is that uh, the player can, you know, or play tester in, in our case, would find a way to, to break the puzzle, essentially. They say, well, if you go this other way, actually you can solve the puzzle that way too. 
And it's, it's very hard to design a, a puzzle with a, like a specific solution in mind from the beginning without providing either making it so obvious that a player can immediately see that's the only way, possible way to do this or um, providing a, alternative approaches where, where the puzzle can be broken. And then, and then you have to go through multiple rounds trying to essentially shore up the, shore up the design, you know, block off different ways that you didn't want them to go through. But that doesn't necessarily arrive at the best kind of puzzle design because then it feels it, it at some point it starts feeling like overly complicated, like you built in all these extra things that don't really need to be there. So what we wanted to do ideally is provide uh, designs where we think about what kind of experience do we want the player to have. So we say, for example, there's uh, going to be a certain enemy here that's really hard to defeat. And what does a player need to acquire in order to defeat this enemy? And so we provided a way of giving the, the player a uh, puzzle of figuring out how do I acquire what I need to get past this, this checkpoint, essentially, or, um, and, and doing the similar thing with other kinds of obstacles uh, along the way. And then if you, you layer those up and in multiple uh, steps along the way, you can have a player start to juggle multiple of those kind of obstacles or constraints at the same time in order to, um, which, which you start kind of uh, figuring out intuitively as you gain more experience uh, with, with the puzzles to, to figure that kind of thing out. And, and the, the goal is to keep a, an appropriate balance between, you know, of challenge where balancing, you know, what, what I've heard referred to as boredom versus frustration, um, where you don't want the player to feel bored like I've done the same kind of puzzle before and I'm just doing the same thing again. But they, you don't want the player to become frustrated like they don't have any clue how to figure out what, what to do next. And uh, so we wanted to make sure that whenever we're providing a, a new experience to the player, we've already given building blocks in, in previous puzzles of how to do certain kinds of things, how to solve certain kind of pieces of a puzzle um, so we don't throw too much at you at the same time. So I know we kind of touched on this at the beginning when you talked about that this uh, is a kind of the narr I'm kind of interested in the theme and the narration of the story where you have Ren, of course, the lone survivor of the Siege of 30, whose goal is to defeat the King Mordrak. I know we talked a lot about puzzles and a lot about how this puzzle is made and everything, but what decided to have a theme? What? Did, how did you decide to make a theme kind of more in the medieval sense? Why is this not a space adventure? Why is this not a, a adventure happening in our own time, like up in the wilderness somewhere in the, I don't know, like the Yukon or something where you're trying to get through these puzzles based on that? Did you just want to keep it inside this realm or did you have, and is this the only thing you thought of? Uh, yeah, good, good points. We have thought about uh, applying other themes. And as we were designing puzzles, we were thinking, do we want to, for example, maybe have a uh, Show, showcase a lot of different kinds of themes in the book. So we could have maybe a different chapter where we have a medieval theme and then another chapter with a space theme and a third chapter maybe with a, um, you know, a modern spy thriller theme or something like that. And, but then we thought, you know, what's, what's going to play best to the strengths of, of this experience is to provide a single cohesive narrative that, that a player can progress through. As part of providing that narrative, we wanted to go with a classic dungeon crawler theme, at least for this book, uh, because we wanted to provide a comfortable space uh, for the player to feel that is uh, familiar to them, like some having some familiar tropes. And the reason for that, and that's that's part of, in part, why we named the I named the book Twisty Little Passages because that's actually a uh, 
commonly known reference from the, one of the, the earliest adventure games on, on uh, computers, which uh, one of the text adventure games, Colossal Cave Adventure. And uh, which which brings a thought, uh, some nostalgia to 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 a lot of uh, gamers' minds. But the point was to not have the player have to think too much about trying to understand the world, but we wanted again the focus to be on trying to understand the puzzles. And so we wanted to provide an engaging experience of, of crawling through each dungeon area, with um, and and to provide good memories in a player's minds of, of going through that experience, but. Again, with the focus being on how do I solve a puzzle while I'm exploring and enjoying this this world that that is maybe familiar and comfortable to me for for other reasons. Um, so we wanted to so I wanted to place each puzzle, have it grounded in in a world, and have that experience added to of of the story to immerse the player in the scene and in the puzzle. So there's always like a motivation for what am I doing in this puzzle and why am I trying to go through this area and what am I doing by solving this dungeon? And I think, you know, the when people solve a puzzle that uh, I think they remember best areas that in their mind, you know, you can connect to a story and a place and you can afterwards, you can relive that story and you can tell that story if you want to. And, Part of the uh, the visual design and and the, the graphic layout, I followed kind of the approach used in the card design for Magic: The Gathering, where each game element essentially, you know, you give it an int- an, an interesting name that all on its own evokes some kind of feeling or memory, and then you can add a beautiful graphic image to it, and plus a bit of engaging backstory, and now with those pieces your imagination is engaged to fill in the blanks and you your mind can automatically start building an entire world around those pieces and so now as you play through the game the story becomes uniquely your experience your adventure and it becomes a personal and special thing to each player i was just going to say i think you've done a fantastic job you've nailed the theme right on the head i mean i've actually one of my aha moments is all like you said at the beginning is actually being able to turn that next page and seeing kind of how the story develops i mean i've worked really hard mm-hmm. to get through this puzzle and i'm so proud of myself that i'm excited to see what is going to be happening in the next next page turn what am i going to be up against what monsters am i going to be fighting and so it's really cool that you brought this thing to life while still building this huge and intricate puzzle to get to that point i think you've done a fantastic job thank, thank you thank you so much um yeah I, I think adding uh these details doesn't change the core nature of the puzzle per se but i feel it does add to the draw and the experience and um eventually the memory the player takes away from playing the game and to speak about um gaming uh theory or conceits that that i feel we're drawing the power from both euro and ameritrash gaming and i think you get a lot of power when you when you can use utilize both of those approaches i thought it was interesting that and you mentioned in your description there how you talked about having each chapter be its own separate theme and since you have one cohesive story i've been noticing that each chapter still has its own region you're exploring and with it, its own flavor and i've enjoyed that experience like oh yeah i finally made it to the next chapter Ooh, where am i going next in this world because in the beginning of the book you've got this world whole world laid out and you kind of give this backstory of hey i'm starting down here and i need i eventually i need to find some way to get up to here where the big boss guy is to to save the world essentially 
so I thought that was a very clever, clever approach to keep the system cohesive. Yeah, thank, thank you. I wanted to apply, uh, yeah, a narrative uh, progression where you have, like you said, reward and story advancement for solving each puzzle, and then at the same time have a, you know, a, each chapter is leading on to more and more challenging puzzles as you go. So I wanted to provide a more larger reward at the end of each chapter for defeating the big boss of that chapter and then being able to move on the plot of the story, essentially move on to, to the next chapter of, of, the, of the tale. The other thing we kind of want to ask about too is each of these uh, puzzles has its own unique twist or spin or, or interesting little nugget to, to differentiate itself from the previous puzzles you've done. And I'm curious because while those are interesting in, in themselves, when you're designing these chapters of this world, you approach it from, hey, I want to be in this part of the world and we may come across these unique a- aspects of that world. Or do you approach it from the, the fact that like, oh, I think this would be really cool from a mechanic standpoint and have this unique item. Uh, where can I fit it within this, this big world I've created? Or maybe some mixture of both. Yeah, yeah. We wanted to try to balance all of those those multiple aspects and then into the story and, and the mechanics as you go through. But as part of that, we wanted to provide unique items or mechanics that are more complex later in the in the story when players have more experience at solving the puzzles. And, and in addition, we want my goal was to provide distinct or one-time items and puzzles that that feel thematically rich, um, as well as providing a unique puzzle potential for for that area. And as part of that, I drew from concepts you you can find in other maze games, like um, computer games like Metroidvanias or or the Zelda series, where you can pick up powers along the way, but which are in essence, if you think about it, they're essentially keys that unlock new routes through the maze. And so you have to you're still figuring out which way to go next, and and as you unlock things, you uh, gain access to new ways to go. It feels so much fun to get a grappling hook or a double jump or a power bomb or things like that, you know, that, that make uh, the experience engaging. And so I feel that providing distinct obstacles and uh, thematic ways to overcome them adds to the fun of, of uh, engaging in the adventure. And, and, and in addition to those, uh, those uh, mechanics in Twisty Little Passages, I wanted each area to feel like a, a distinct place. But like you said, in each chapter, there's kind of a cohesive area or, or kind of a setting. And so combining uh, places with certain distinct items with a unique mechanic, I think that helps to dis- distinguish, to differentiate each experience in the player's mind. So I, I think that's important for providing a rewarding uh, puzzle-solving experience that's different than, say, playing through a bunch of Sudoku puzzles. Not not trying to bash on Sudoku, but I... For me, at least, it's it's hard afterwards. Like if I played through a bunch of Sudoku puzzles, it's hard for me to call out how the experience of any particular puzzle was unique from the others. I, you know, I'm going through the motions of solving the puzzle, but then I don't. I'm not left with like this. This narrative, you know, happened, and I had this adventure. So I think that's a, a critical part of uh, drawing the player in, into the game. Yeah, it's funny you bring that up because my uh, mother-in-law is. Recently, picked up Sudoku puzzles quite a bit, and so she's always solving those. And I uh, decided to bring this uh, to her place one time uh, recently and uh, show her a different form of puzzle. And so she was pretty intrigued, but uh, she wasn't quite interested enough to to take a, a swing at it yet. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see. If we, I'm curious how she's going to react when she tries something like this. 
Yeah. So we're talking a lot about Twisty Little Passages. It's a great, phenomenal game, little book. It's awesome. Um, but I'm interested, what do you guys have coming down in the future? Do you have more games like this? Like I was talking about earlier with the theme, where you think about putting this type of creation into a different theme, or do you have other things in the works that you're really proud of coming forward? Yeah, thanks for asking this. Twisty Little Passages felt like, um, as, as I mentioned before, a u- kind of a unique venture. And as our first foray into the tabletop gaming scene, I was feeling that it was, I wasn't sure how it was going to be received at the beginning um, when we were, when I was just starting to put this together. So I wasn't quite sure how much we were able to commit to something because I really care about providing good gaming value to the player. Um, uh, always have. I feel there's like a balance between exploring versus exploiting a property, as it were, like delivering value like play value versus making cash grabs for example for instance and for better or worse i lean towards delivering a concentrated value more than than you know milking a product so i would i've received a lot of encouraging feedback on uh on on reception of twisty little passages from our kickstarter backers and and early um players and I appreciate that feedback and along with all the feedback we've been receiving about the experience of playing. And um, that's that's given me a lot of encouragement to, to do this again. I would love to provide uh, a, another gaming experience like this as opportunity permits and uh, to do another book like Twisty Little Passages. What we have in mind right now is doing a, to do doing next a space-themed, uh, space-themed uh, sequel. Not, not exactly a sequel per se, but providing... Uh, a new set of puzzles with, with uh, new enemies and, and game elements and mechanics and uh, new story and characters. I think that would be a lot of fun. That should be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm pretty excited for that. I, don't get me wrong. I love dungeon crawlers, but I like seeing other things done in other worlds too as well. So I'm excited to see something like that coming down the pipe. Don't lie, Baron. You want an alien version, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, it may just have to be my favorite movie of all time. So anything that can be done in that kind of genre is always a lot of fun. <laughs> that would be i'd love to do that so what are you particularly proud of when you, when creating this this product is there something that stood out to you that you felt like yeah i this is what i want to achieve or or what, what would you pick i know it's hard to pick like your favorite favorite kid right so oh, yeah yeah there's yeah it's hard to pick the thing that's i'm most proud of but a few things one um i'm proud that the puzzles turned out to be fun to play uh that, that players enjoy them and uh, that, that that it turned out to be a, a good a good creative endeavor that that people can uh, appreciate. Also, I guess I I'm proud that that I was able to create something something new. I think it's fortunate to stumble upon an idea that that feels fresh, and um, also being able to work with a team of brilliant and talented individuals whose experience and skill just came together to make the idea work really well. I think that was especially rewarding. And I, I guess I'm proud that uh, we were successful in our first foray into delivering a high quality production on our and uh, on our first Kickstarter, uh, no less, and, and not messing it up. <laughs> so um, there was a lot to learn along the way. Had to be intentional in checking off all the boxes, you know, as it were, to do it well. But I felt staying true to our vision and staying engaged with the community as we went to to figure out what would work best for people helped helped a lot. And each interaction I had with, with, with players and, and play testers made the experience better and better. So and I love, love engaging with, with other players in the community and, and developing uh, great games. So another fun question for you. 
as I mentioned earlier, you've got these interesting twists on the game, little like nuances to change up each map. Do you have a favorite one that you've implemented or one you thought that turned out really nice? I There's a couple I like. Um, I can't take credit for both of them, but uh, one I really like is the grappling hook. Uh, there's a level with a grappling hook, and um, I think it's a great element. It feels thematically fun to uh, swing across pits with the grappling hook. And at the same time, there's some interesting puzzle mechanics and some puzzle decisions around it where you have to decide, um, well, this grappling hook, you know, gives you a lot of uh, good mobility and, and essentially power to to uh, open up the level. But at the same time, it's a bit challenging to get to. And so you need to balance how quickly do you want to attempt acquiring the grappling hook versus uh, making, you know, working on uh, chipping away at other areas of the, of the level first. And then once you get the grappling hook, it's so satisfying to be able to unlock additional areas. And then you can see, oh, this path is available and I can get that now, and whereas I couldn't before. And it changes your whole way of thinking about how you want to go about solving the remainder of the, of the level um, and, and approaching the boss. And I feel that's that's was a puzzle designed by one of the other uh, level designers. And it was really rewarding for me to play through that and, and uncover those different possibilities that, that are emergent in, in that puzzle design. So I really like the grappling hook. I haven't seen that one yet. Now I got, <laughs> I got something to look forward to. So thanks. <laughs> yeah. Another, another one, uh, a, a bit of a, I guess these are a bit of a spoiler. There's another one where there's an item that, that gives you immunity to a certain kind of monster. So, uh, and which also has uh, similar interesting trade-offs, like uh, you can try to fight your way to get this item right at the beginning, but that might be a bit of a challenge. And so you have to decide, when do I want to grab this item so that as soon as I do, all these other paths become open to me and uh, it change, completely changes how I want to advance through the rest of the area. And I, I think that's just interesting to have an item where there's an there's a balance between when do I want to acquire it and then thinking how would it change my whole strategy once once I have it in hand. So we've been talking about twisty little passages and it was on Kickstarter. It's already fulfilled and been out to everybody. Um, so those listening to the podcast right now, if they haven't actually been part of your Kickstarter and are really interested in this game, which I don't see how they can't be. It's got a great theme. It's got an absolutely fantastic mind thinking puzzles that. Like Steve, I have never been bored trying to figure this out. I've never, like you said, hit that moment where I kind of go, oh, I'm frustrated. I don't want to do this anymore. Every time I sit down to do one of these, it's so much fun. And I have a great time trying to figure out exactly how each one of these puzzles was built to be able to be beat. Now, that being said, if I didn't get this through Kickstarter, how could I possibly get the game right now? You can go to our company site, caravelgames.com. Uh, or you can go to the Kickstarter page for Twisty Little Passages, which has a, a Buy Now link at the top of the page. Well, that's going to conclude our discussion on Twisty Little Passages. I want to thank Mike for joining us on this podcast. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Barrett. It's great talking to you. Yeah, it's great to meet you, Mike. Uh, I'm glad you were able to make it out here and tell us a lot about Twisty Little Passages. It's a great little game that you've made, and I'm excited to get back to it. Thank you. Really appreciate the kind words, and uh, great talking to you. Well, thanks, listeners, for joining, and we'll see you at the next stop. Thanks for listening to another episode of the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Please check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. If you want to reach out to us, the best place to talk to us all is on the Slack. See the show notes for details. Also, you can support us on Patreon 
check out patreon.com slash one stop. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all next week with another Top 5 list. Thank you.